0: Captain's Run with Sam
1: Good morning. Welcome to the show, Julian Destoop, with you for two hours of power with the Captain's Run today. Plenty to get through. Well, under Gary and Tim in fine form uh, for their final show of the year. We wish both the boys. A Merry Christmas. You can give us a call at any time today, 1300 736 736 on the open line for EFS, delivering simple freight solutions. And keep your 40 Winks tempers coming through 0433 98 Temper a mattress like no other. Big show coming up in this first hour. We're going to talk some cricket uh, with the coach of the Melbourne Stars, uh, Dave Hussey. So we'll talk BBL coming up in a couple of weeks' time and obviously uh, what went has gone on in Perth over the first couple of days. Great final session. Uh, yesterday, with uh, the Aussies throwing absolutely everything at the debutante Chanderpaul and also Brathwaite. But uh, credit to the two West in- Indians. They withstood it and uh, got through to stumps uh, in pretty good fashion. So it uh, sets up an interesting start uh, to day three. Adam Peacock's going to join us from Qatar. Another extraordinary morning uh, in the World Cup, and uh, we'll take you through that uh, very shortly. After 10, golfing royalty, Jan Stevenson, Uh, is going to join us. Obviously a historic Australian Open with the men's and women's playing at the same time. She's one of only three Australian women uh, to ever win the Australian Open. It's celebrating its 50th year uh, this year. So a great thrill to have Jan Stevenson, one of our greatest names in golf uh, joining us after 10. Now, Miles Fitzgerald with all the weekends racing and also Kookaburra. Uh, Jake Harvey as uh, the Kookaburras look to wrap up their series against India over in Adelaide. They currently lead that series uh, two games to one. But World Cup overnight, another stunning upset. If we thought it was big, uh, the Socceroos uh, getting through it, it certainly was big. But the fact is the Germans are out for the second straight World Cup they haven't made it through the group stage and it all came in a crazy game between Japan and Spain. Spain led 1-0 Japan came back to win 2-1 with a very very controversial goal that put them in front and ultimately uh knock the Germans out.
2: here goes Japan again. one. Can he chip back on his left foot? No, he goes for ball. Beautiful football back post. matter, it's ruled out. I don't know they've said the ball's gone dead they said the ball's gone dead as it was cut back along the 6 yard box but they will just calm everyone around Tanaka thinks he scored from a cut back inside the 6 yard box, the Spanish say the ball had gone dead, there'll be a clear replay on it they're going upstairs I think to have a look at this this is a huge huge moment Japan VAR, he's given a goal he's given a goal, it's a goal He's given a go. I can't believe that. Japan are in front.
1: Extraordinary. It is extraordinary because if you looked at the replay and if you go on to social media at the moment and look at any still photos, that ball was out. That was the Wayne Harms moment of world football. It was out. So uh, Japan get through. They beat Spain 2-1. It means Germany are out. So Japan top a group that featured Germany and Spain. They beat Germany and Spain and lost to Costa Rica who uh, lost to Germany 4-2 this morning. One stage, Costa Rica and Japan were through. Costa Rica uh, were beating Germany 2-1 after 70 minutes, which would have knocked Spain out. So just an extraordinary morning there. So we'll speak to Adam Peacock about that. And of course, as we build up uh, to the Socceroos facing Argentina, 6am on Sunday. Of course, a lot of it is built around the fact that we are playing against one of the greatest footballers of all time uh, in Lionel Messi at his last World Cup, we all believe. It's the one thing he's never won uh, in his career is a World Cup. And uh, while the Socceroos, we would love to spoil the party. Uh, Australian defender Milos Degenek faced the media and, and spoke about facing messi and argentina
0: obviously now that we know we're playing against argentina it's going to be a a difficult game obviously playing against probably the best football ever to to grace the game and you know apart from that again as i say, it's 11 against 11 it's not there's not 11 Messis. there's one it's not an honor to to play against him because he's just a human as we all are it's just a it's an honor to be in the round of 16 of a world cup that's the honour in itself you have to believe you know we have to believe in ourselves we have to believe in in all the boys whether it's kai harry whether it's aziz nate fran bailey thomas staying myself whoever it is that's playing at the back we have to believe and we have to be confident in our abilities to to stop every attack there has to always be that one story that kind of shocks the whole world that one story that everyone jumps on the bandwagon and goes oh you know our country's out let's support these guys because they're the underdog
1: Love that attitude. Uh, it's not an honour to play against Lionel Messi. is just a human. So I like that attitude from Milash Stegenek. Now, the cricket. Now, obviously, a lot of the focus has been on Australia and the West Indies. As we mentioned, a great final session yesterday where the West Indies Openers really dug in uh, against some really good bowling. They copped some on the body, but they made it through to stumps, which is a full credit to the... You know, in general in cricket, we don't love bat-dominating ball. We love to see a contest between the two. But give us a call, one three hundred seven three six seven three six 736 736 on the EFS open line, delivering simple freight solutions. If you watched any of Pakistan versus England last night. So at Stumps, England finished day one, four for 506 in one day. Didn't even go the full 90 overs because of bad light. Four players made centuries. First session of of 27 overs. None for 174. Second session three for 158 off 27. They hit 75 fours and three sixes off 73 overs for the day. And in comparison after day one in 90 overs, Australia were 293 off 90 overs. At one stage, um, Brooke hit six fours off and over. He was one of the four players to make a century. And here's a nice little stat. On day one, Australia left the ball 158 times against the West Indies. England, 13 times for the entire game. So we know uh, Baz McCullum was an attacking player. He's doing some great things with this test team. That was an extraordinary day. And we, and we know Pakistan had some some players out. Shaheen Afridi's not playing. They had a couple of debutantes. But tough day for the bowlers. So here, Mahmood, for example, 23 overs. Two for 160. So, tough day. Uh, Matt from Caulfield has jumped on the EFS open line. I think he was watching last night. Uh, Matty, what would you make of it all?
0: Hi, Jules. How are you? I'm good. How are uh, you? Just in terms of that, we can marvel at the batting in the you know, four centuries and going, I think they finished at like 6.6 and over or something. But is that actually good for cricket? I mean, I think Australia had a boring draw there last year when we played Pakistan, if it's the same ground that I'm thinking of. I'm just not sure that's good for cricket at all. Also, look what's happening in Perth. Um, Purely, if Australia's bowling attack can't take a wicket, the pitch is a problem there as well. So I'm not too sure if this is good for Test cricket.
1: Look, I don't. if it happens regularly in Test cricket, what happened last night, I, I don't think that's a good thing. Look, I don't think... I think there's a bit... Hap- I was listening to Simon Kaddich last night. He he believes there's a bit going on in this wicket in Perth. It, it's not giving the bowlers a heap, but Australia probed pretty well in that last session last night. It took some pretty gutsy batting and some pretty... You know, quality batting, uh, including from a debutant, to keep Australia out. So, yeah, I I hear what you're saying. I think we'd love to see a good contest between bat and ball. But I think every now and then when you see something out of the box like the scoring last night, it is uh, pretty entertaining. Uh, John from Richmond has uh, jumped on the line, and not yet. We'll get to Johnny in a second. Uh, He wants to talk about uh, the football last night, Spain versus Japan. Uh, We're going to talk to Adam Peacock about that uh, very shortly. So if you're just catching up uh, with the news uh, that Japan have topped that group. Here's John. He wants to have a chat about it. G'day, John.
2: Uh, Hi, yeah. Just on Germany getting knocked out today, uh, I think it's a bit of karma after what happened 10 years in the World Cup game against... England. Frank Lampard. When Lampard scored that goal. That wasn't a goal. I'm sorry, that is, that was a goal. Yeah, was and clearly a goal. One where, yeah, it was clearly, and clearly the ball crossed the line here in the Japan game as well.
3: I mean, it was clearly
2: over the line. And I mean, with all these cameras that they got now, how was they, they you know, passed that up, uh, I don't have no answer to that.
1: I was going to ask you that, John. I mean, people smash VAR and in, in cricket, you know, Hawkeye and in, in AFL, you know, the our arc system, but it's not the technology. Like someone is looking at that. Like it's as plain to everyone that that ball is out. I was going to throw the question back to you. I, I don't understand how that gets missed.
2: Yeah, clearly that ball is over the line, I and mean, clearly that's a human error. That is not a technical mm. issue, or that you know where they have where they draw the line, just you know to show that it's offside or not. That is not that's not in play here at all. at All this is clearly vision that you can see clearly with your own two eyes, and though yeah, the ball is crossed. So the, the, the goal shouldn't count.
1: Absolutely. It's extraordinary. And, uh, well, I'm sure it's it's going to blow up uh, majorly around the world of football and uh, particularly in Germany. It's an extraordinary group. The fact that Japan beat Germany in Spain, lost to Costa Rica, end up topping the group and the Germans don't make it through for a success, second consecutive World Cup. So it's the first time in back-to-back World Cups that neither Germany or Italy uh, in the semi-finals. So it just shows that maybe a little small uh, changing face in world football. John, thanks for your call. Let's get to Dale uh, in Tasmania. He wants to take us back to the cricket. G'day, Dale.
3: G'day, Jules. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. How are you? Good, good. I just was comparing the two games, the two test matches, because uh, England and uh, Pakistan come on straight after uh, Australia-Windies. And you know, I enjoyed the uh, the Perth test more than I did the other one. Um, you know, I was just playing on a road, you know, it's just, just playing on a concrete pitch. But I really enjoyed watching the last session with uh, Shander Paul and Brathwaite. Um, and I was just, like the last over come up, and I was just hoping that uh, they'd both last, that they go, they'd actually get to bat tomorrow, or today, I should say. So, no, I just really enjoyed watching... Um, I guess the tradition of Test cricket, where they actually, you know, they play it like a Test game, but the other guys may as have well just put coloured clothes on and played a one-day. <laughs> that's just what I felt. To me. Anyway.
1: They hit 96 off the last 10 overs, uh, England. So that is that's 2020. That's not even a one-day game. But yeah, I was the same as you, Dale. I was nervous for those two West Indian openers in the last over because I thought, no, you deserve to make it through to stumps. You've copped some. You've copped a barrage. And uh, you, you've stood up against, you know, arguably the best attack in the world. So I was a bit the same as uh, you, Dale. Thanks for your call. Uh, before the break, uh, Adrian in Taylor's Lakes uh, has jumped on the line. G'day, Adrian.
4: Hey, Jules. How are
2: you, mate?
1: I'm good. How are you?
2: Good, mate. Good. So what I, I, I missed the Germany game. Did, did the ball cross the uh, goal line? And no. So little... it,
1: crossed, uh, it crossed over. So the, the cross came across and the Japanese player slid in to try and keep the ball in play. And it, and, right. it, it, and it rolled out, and he's, he's hooked back the cross, and they've headed it in. So,
5: Oh, ah,
2: okay. Yeah, so it wasn't, a, it wasn't
1: goal line. It was um, t- um, touch line.
2: Oh, right. So I reckon, personally, I think I,
4: I, Germany, you know, you want to stand up against these, these the big boys in, in Saudi Arabia and the trillionaires and billionaires, mate. When, when, when sport becomes with so much money and power, They come in corruption and and unfortunately it happened in our great game and it's going to continue to happen when it's big money involved and big, you know, big egos and they just tap the guy on the shoulder and said, no, mate, you let that go. That's what happens, Jules.
3: That's what happens.
1: Mm, Appreciate your call, Uh, Adrian. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I've got a couple of people off the 40 Wings temper saying it wasn't clearly over the line. It certainly was on video and in still shots clearly uh, over the line. Let's get our first break away uh, on the captain's run. We're going to continue the cricket theme after the break when we speak to Melbourne Stars coach David Hussey.
0: The captain's run with Sam Edmund.
6: Seals to the crease here and Labashane drives through the offside. On to 200, he goes with a boundary, a lavish cover drive. Twelve months ago, Labashain went to the top of the world rankings, and over the last day, that's
4: exactly how he's played. Steve Smith utterly unfazed by it. He waits for the next one. With him now, forward running the ball to points. Steve
2: Smith is inevitable. A double century that he forecast in his own words and delivered with his own actions.
4: An elegant double century.
1: And then poor old Travis Head fell for 99. So almost been the perfect start to the Test match uh, for Australia. Uh, We'll talk to David Hussey about that, but, of course, he is the coach uh, of the Melbourne Stars, the BBL just around the corner, a couple of weeks out from the Stars' first MCG game, which will be an emotional one because the Stars will be remembering Shane Warne at their first home game uh, at the MCG. Head to melbournestars.com.au uh, for all your ticket information. Dave Hussey's been good enough to join us this morning. Hello, Dave.
3: Yeah, good, thanks, Jules. How are you?
1: Very well, thank you, mate. Uh, before we get stuck into the Stars and, and uh, looking at the BBL for this season, what have you made of the the opening couple of game, uh, days of the Test match over in Perth?
3: Uh, I thought the Aussies batted extremely well. Um, I didn't see much of the game yesterday because Victoria's playing, but from the highlights I've uh, seen in the scorecard, uh, yeah, the players, Steve Smith, Manus, uh, Uzi Kawaja, even Travis Head, who's having a, a great summer, um, they've played superbly. And now, the Aussies are up against it. to take uh, 20 wickets inside three days uh, on a wearing pitch, but yeah, it's, uh, it's good, good, honest test cricket and uh, yeah, something that uh, you'd like to see more of.
1: You see any of uh, England-Pakistan last night?
3: No, I didn't know, but I was texting um, Brendan McCullum, the coach, uh, <laughs> reasonably close with him, and uh, just saying, to you're doing wonders to test cricket, and uh, I think this will be the... You're a pioneer, basically, um, saying that the, the new run rate of test cricket is going to be uh, 5, 6 and over now going forward, so it's, uh, he's doing great great things for the English test side.
1: He is. Uh, We've got a bit to worry about come the Ashes next year?
3: Um, well, it's always difficult to play in England against the English, so they're always a hard team to beat, but... The way the English are playing, they're full of confidence. They take the game on. They're uh, very, very positive. And I think they have got a really good captain in Ben Stokes. I, I think he sees the game from a different perspective, a different lens. And uh, I think he and Brendan work really, really well together. And they're good fast bowlers or good good swing uh, fast bowlers. So it's always tough playing over there. But I uh, still always would back the Aussies to win uh, 5-0 like Glenn always.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like your confidence. Now, we don't need your brother helping out their T20 side.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, well... Mike, he's just a lovely man who likes helping <laughs> our people. So uh, I'd like to say some, some bad things about him, but I can't. He's, <laughs> he's too nice a person.
1: He is. You're not going to do the same, are you? You're not going to help out some international team in the future?
3: <laughs> no, no, no. I'm very much in, fully entrenched uh, at Cricket Victoria. want to help uh, the Vicks uh, get back to uh, where we belong at the top and very much a family there now. So I want to stay at home and, and be there for whole wife and kids.
1: Yeah, but a bit of a tough day again for the Vics yesterday. All out for two hundred nine. New South Wales in reply two for sixty one. Uh, looking at the, at the stars, uh, Dave. Uh, international players are coming. Uh, English international Luke Wood, Trent Bolt arrives next week. Uh, overall, how happy are you with the squad you've been able to assemble?
3: No, very happy with the squad. Um, overseas players: Trent Bolt, Luke Wood, Joe Clark. Uh, yeah, very happy with them. And what's the best or the defining moment about them is they're all quality people and they're going to fit in the dressing room really well, but they also play really exciting and attacking cricket. And like you mentioned before in the intro, um, our first home game at the MCG, we're going to pay a big tribute to, uh, to Shane Warne and he was a, uh, one of the inaugural players and uh, he was a big part of the Melbourne Stars and, and where we are today as, as, a, as a team. So um, it's going to be a really exciting event. But getting back to the squad, um, yeah, very, very happy with the squad. Just. I wouldn't have, uh, would like our former captain uh, to to be part of the team too. Uh, The broken leg hasn't really helped uh, their preparations going forward.
1: So what what was your initial reaction when, I I don't know, if you got a phone call or how you found out that, A, Glenn had broken his leg and how it actually happened?
3: I've got a a friend who works at the Epworth and he rang at 5.40 in the morning. (laughs) Never a good time. uh, no. (laughs) He asked whether um, Glenn Maxwell's part of the uh, the BBL this year. And so I said, yeah, of course, he's, he's our captain. And <laughs> he said, I don't think he'd be playing much in the BBL this year. He's just broken his leg. And I thought, oh, we can't be joking because it's uh, quarter to six in the morning. But <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, that's the case. And we've just got to uh, sort of plug uh, Max's hole in, in the squad. And, um, yeah, he's a bloody difficult player to, to, uh, to replace because he's a three-dimensional player, our captain, and, and one of our... Uh, great leaders, so but um, yeah, I was truly believe we've got the squad to actually um, go really deep in the tournament. We've got class players like the overseas players I mentioned, and, and Marcus Stornis, Hilton Cartwright, and the bowlers Liam Hatcher, Sam Elliott, and uh, Cam McClure as well. So and who can forget Adam Zampa? So yeah, we've got a decent squad uh, assembled.
1: Who will captain the side?
3: Great question. Uh, working through that at the moment. Um, It's probably down to the last two, uh, but I'll probably make a decision um, over the next couple of days. But, yeah, just working through a couple of things. A couple of people playing shield cricket at the moment, which hasn't really helped um, sort of the announcement. But watch this space. I think it'll be announced over the next couple of days.
1: You mentioned Adam Zampa then, and you said obviously you're watching the Victorians closely yesterday. He was playing some four-day cricket for the first time in a while. Can you see him having a... A future in test cricket obviously we've got you know tour to india coming up but how did he bowl yesterday and how do you think he bowls in the longer form of the game
3: he bowled beautifully yesterday actually um the last time i've seen him play was 2019 in, in the first class arena and um i probably thought he was more of a white ball bowler then but watching him bowl yesterday he bowled faster. He tacked the stumps tacked the uh, lbw he also turned the odd ball uh, both ways um which is the key and I guess he's probably in the selector's minds Uh, for the Tour of India. um, He could be like a a smaller version um, of Anil Kumble, a fast leg spinner who gets a lot of bounce and and can turn it slightly uh, either way. So, yeah, I don't see why not Adam can be a a uh, three-test player, one-day player and um, and T20 player for Australia. I I think he's probably had the right to play uh, in all three forms of the game.
1: Yeah, he's been sensational. Just on the the BBL, the the first... Um, initiation of the draft, I guess, was was interesting because a lot of the big names were were overlooked for for various reasons. But in the end, a lot of those big names are actually going to play in the tournament with you know Andre Russell. Uh, we've seen Faf Duplessis, and, and some of those big names that were initially overlooked are actually going to play anyway. What what did you make of the draft, and how do you see it working in the future?
3: No, I love the draft. It was excellent and. Uh, great viewing. The, the planning and preparation to go into the draft and securing your player is, uh, or players is is incredible. Um, I'm not sure how the AFL clubs do it, but <laughs> it probably took us um, yeah, about six, seven months to actually finalise our, our three players that we we key on. We, we wanted it to retail uh, draft, I should say. Um, and the, the choice between Bolt and Andre Russell was a very difficult one. Um, they both have great attributes. And uh, we just needed a, a left-arm swinging bowler up front who can take early wickets, and that was probably the deciding factor. But the way I see it going forward is it's just going to get bigger and better, and hopefully um, the BBL officials involve a, uh, a domestic draft too, so, so domestic players can go into the draft and um, they can find new homes rather than staying in their original states or original BBL teams.
1: How important is this season for the BBL, uh, Dave? We're talking to Dave Hussey, coach of the Melbourne Stars. It's it just lost a little bit of its... Edge. It feels like the last couple of years. How important is it for this to be a a really good season and just get the interest right back to where it was that early days?
3: Well, I think every season is really important for the BBL. Um, it's a, a critical tournament for for cricket Australia and and for the players as well, domestically and internationally. Um, I think the quality of cricket played in the BBL is is the number one goal and. Uh, Speaking from the Stars' point of view, we will be playing in an aggressive style of cricket but an also attractive brand of cricket where we take the game on and, and want to entertain all the fans that turn up and play because um, we, we, we're fully aware that we know we're part of the entertainment game and um, yeah, we want to put on a great show for all the people that turn up and all the people that watch at home.
1: I'm sure you will, Dave. Melbourne Stars always put on a great show. Thanks so much for your time this morning and uh, we can't wait for the BBL to get underway.
3: Anytime, Jules. Thanks very much.
1: The captain's run with Sam Edmund. Welcome back to the show. Julian De Stoop with you. Speaking of Sam Edmund, remember this is your journey on Sunday from 10am. Talks to former Australian fast bowler and soon-to-be local footballer out of Doveton, James Pattinson, an extraordinary career, 21 test matches, should have been so much more if it wasn't for a series of, well, foot injuries uh, and then back injuries. Also talks a lot about Homework Gate uh, over in India back in 2013, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives, uh, Melbourne's weather today, mostly sunny, top of 23 ahead of a beautiful weekend for City Power Works, Todd Road, Fisherman's Bend, detours in place. Going to take another break in a sec. Just want to give Adam Peacock uh, plenty of time, to chat World Cup and all the dramas and as we build up to the Socceroos versus Argentina on Sunday, as I said before the break, off the forty winks temper, get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. Forty winks, serious about sleep. Getting a bit of feedback that maybe the ball wasn't definitively out uh, in the Japan v J- uh, Spain game. I've looked at it several times. I can see what people are saying. There is an above view which they might have used and maybe determined on it might not have been over. But from the couple of one of the video angles down low. And also the still shots. To me, that ball is out. So some of the feedback. Julian, you're clearly looking at wrong still shots. Do you know the ball is a 3D shape? The footage shows it wasn't out. It's best not to listen to Nuffies on social media, says Rick. I'm not listening. I'm looking. Uh, The ball was clearly not over the line. The ball is round. Thank you, Glenn. I realise the ball is round. All the ball needs to cross the line, says Glenn in Diamond Creek. Julian, please stop expressing the opinion that the ball is out. You sound silly. The ball is round, mate. That's three people who told me a soccer ball's round. I know a soccer ball's round. (laughs) Just because the bottom of the ball is over the line doesn't mean the whole 3D round ball has crossed it as the footage overhead shows. You can't look at the ground-level footage. Come on, Julian. Use your head. It's infuriating listening. Okay, fair enough. In my head is round. In group stage games now between Asian sides and European teams, it's now four three in Asia's favor with one more to go tonight. I reckon many of the European teams are overrated with their rankings in fight. That's an interesting point. That's a good one to ask uh, Adam Peacock. look at Belgium, ranked number three, uh, number two in the world. Not sure how they're number two at the moment. They were knocked out this morning. Uh, Romelu Lukaku missed three absolute sitters, punched the bench, broke that as he walked off. So really disappointing tournament uh, for the Belgium. So let's get a breakaway. I want to have uh, plenty of time to chat to Adam Peacock. He was in the stadium for Japan versus Spain. So we'll get his view. Geez, I hope he supports my view that the ball was out. Otherwise, I'm in all sorts of trouble. But we'll also build up, of course, to the Socceroos versus Argentina on Sunday, 6 a.m., Everyone needs to get up. Ross, you need to get up on Sunday to watch it. 2 a.m., I can forgive you. 6 a.m., not so much. Uh, you're listening to The Captain's Run.
0: The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund.
1: Welcome back to the show. Julian De Stoop with you. As we said before the break, another extraordinary night in the World Cup. The Germans are out. The Japanese have topped their group. Belgium is out, and we're building up, of course, to the Socceroos v Argentina. 6 a.m. on Sunday. I've always wanted to be Adam Peacock, but right now I'd love to be Adam Peacock. Code Sports, SEN host. He is in Qatar. He was in the stadium yesterday for the Socceroos. He was in the stadium uh, for Japan versus Spain uh, this morning, our time. He's been good enough to join us. Hello, Adam. Jules, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. How are you? Uh, I'm going to cut, cut to the chase. Was that ball over the line or not for the Japanese winning goal?
6: No, I reckon, I reckon it was in. I reckon oh, it was in.
1: So I've just been it, smashed you, for saying it was out, and now you've backed them up. <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> I didn't hear that.
6: Um, no, it's optical illusion. Look, the, the the angle that was shown first of all on the on the TV coverage, which looks like it was out. Now, if, for context, everyone obviously uh, probably across the story, but this was lead up to the Japanese second goal, and they totally deserved it as well. By the way, the first fifteen minutes that they played in the second half was extraordinary the amount of pressure they put on Spain. They they made Spain look like a pub team for, for 15 minutes. They just couldn't cope with their pressure. But the, the ball was pretty much over the byline. But the rule is anything that's... It's not like tennis. It's not just the mark that's left on the court of the ball. The sphere that's above the ground, like it goes wider, all of that has to be over the line. And, and I don't... Actually, I can't see a, a view from a proper angle where it's like right on the line... That suggests that it is over the line. So it, millimeters in it, and I'm glad they've gone with the attacking side. How
1: will that be? Uh, how will the news go down in Germany? The fact that that decision and the fact for the second consecutive World Cup they haven't made it through the group.
6: I think. The, the, the way the germans deliberate things is is through a very much a common sense lens so that they'll look at that decision and go oh it's you know if it was australia or England we'd whinge about it for the rest of the time but <laughs> I, I think the Germans will look at it and go look we we yes that decision might another day have gone for us but um that's not good enough for us that we, we shouldn't be relying on things like that and they've got a very good competition in the Bundesliga I just get the feeling that in the last few years the Bundesliga is turned into this breakneck, end-to-end, counterattacking, ridiculously intense league, and it's probably on par with the Premier League in many senses, that it's it's spun out of control and, and they're not producing the type of players that they need. Look, they weren't far off, but it is a disaster by their standards that they're not playing in the knockout stages again, as you mentioned.
1: So they'll be looking, as you say, the Germans, are. they're pretty methodical and they're, they're pretty realistic. They'll look over this with a fine-tooth comb, won't they?
6: Oh yeah. Oh, they'll do the most thorough reviews with cool heads as well. Um, but yeah, it's like not good enough for a, a, a league of their standing to not have a national team in the knockout stages of a. Of a, uh, of a World Cup. And look, they, they did this massive review in the early 2000s um, and, and, and worked out their structure and it all filtered through their federation and it, it eventuated in producing a, a generation that did okay at the 2010 World Cup and then was outstanding at the 2014 yeah. World Cup. But it's, it's quizzical what's happened since because they've, they've, it looks like they still have the playing stocks, but just not maybe the depth that they require in matches like this.
1: I saw, we're talking to Adam Peacock, Code Sports, SEN host. He's over at the World Cup uh, in Qatar. Saw some of your shots on social media this morning. What was it like in the stadium with the Japanese and the the atmosphere during that game? And saw their, I think it was your shot of the press pack that was around them, or the photographers after the game. What was it like in the
6: stadium? I was extraordinary because what was happening was you, you, you... at the ground, they don't actually show it on the big screen, but they put up the table of the, the, the live ladder as because the, the matches are concurrent. Yep. So it, it, it warns against collusion between um, the two fixtures, which happened in 1982 and eventuated in Algeria, missing out in controversial circumstances. But, yeah, they, they, they keep everyone updated through there, but yeah, everyone's got their smartphones out and... and when Costa Rica took the lead, mm. which meant Germany and Spain were yes. out, this this ripple became a roar, became amazement, became holy moly, what on earth is going on here? After uh, about three or four minutes, until Germany equalised, which put Spain back in, but then it meant that uh, Japan had to hold on, because if Spain equalised two-one mm. up Japan, Spain equalised Japan would have gone from first to third, and they were out. So. In the end, they held on. Um, Spain did attack, but they just couldn't find the solutions to win the game or draw the game, and Japan topped the group. So, amazing. Spain now play Morocco, and Japan play Croatia.
1: Unbelievable group, that one. It's extraordinary for Japan. They beat the two big guns in the group, and then they lose to Costa Rica. What's this tournament said about Asian football so far, Adam? We just had a, a temper text that rightly pointed out from the seven games between Asian and... Teams and European teams. The Asians have won four of them. We've got one more tonight between uh, South Korea and Portugal. What What's all that say about Asian football compared to European football um, with those results so far?
6: Yeah, it's it's a great thing because it means that the gap is closing, and there is a gap between the European nations and Africa and and also Asia. The African teams have been pretty impressive and good to watch here. South Americans, obviously, are always going to have depth, especially Argentina and Brazil. But yeah. You know, I can't pinpoint it exactly, but there's a number of factors. Look, the conditions will be a factor. Like um, Asian teams are used to playing in Doha, and it is different here. It's like really humid nights. The ball doesn't hold up on the pitch. Like, the balls in behind just do not work because it just skids yep. skids through. So anyone who's played here in Doha are used to the conditions. Maybe it's that. Um, maybe it's the European seasons. We're, we're, we're trying to get a, a guide on having a World Cup in the middle of a European season, is that having a material effect? I don't think it has that much. I think it's made the games of a more intense, higher quality, in fact, because everyone's in the rhythm. But yeah, it's it's just one of those things, I think. And, and the investment that's gone into Asian football over a long period of time, it's it's kind of paid off.
1: You're one of the, I guess, thousands of Australians that were lucky enough to be there uh, the other night uh, when Matthew Leckie scored and we beat Denmark and went through against mm. all the odds. Uh, what was it like in the stadium? And just watching some of the pictures on the news reports back here, my old mate, Clint Stanaway, is being mugged in every piece of camera that he's done. Uh, what What were the celebrations like afterwards?
6: He deserves it, Stanaway, firstly. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, no, uh, the the celebrate. It was weird. The, the atmosphere inside the ground for the for the first hour it was like a library. You can hear the players talking to each other. We've been criticised for that. The Australian fans. Well, yeah, I, I, I get it, but they haven't been done any favours by whoever's doing the ticket allocation for started, because They're all in different pockets. Mm. It's not like there's this one big wall of Australian fans. It's. It's, in my opinion, garbage. But anyway, um, and, and it's not the fault of the FFA. I, th- I think it's, um, FA, I should say, it's, it's FIFA who do the allocation. They're, they're in three different parts and it's just dumb. Anyway, um, it, it, was, it, was, it was tense. It was really tense and, you know, big moments happen and obviously the crowd, but one Blackie scored, everything changed. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone then all of a sudden from an Australian perspective had something to hold on to and everyone from a Danish perspective had something to go after. And then it then it got a bit, a bit hectic. But, uh, yeah, it, was, it wasn't was the best atmosphere. But what I do know, at the Bin Ali Stadium on Saturday night stroke Sunday morning, the joint is going to go off. Yeah. Because the Argentinians, they'd dead-set fly to Pluto to follow their team. <laughs> so they're here en masse, and it's going to be rocking, that joint. That is
1: going to be – yeah, there's going to be some sort of uh, atmosphere at that game. Where do, where do you rate – this achievement on compared to some of our other achievements, you know, getting through in 2005, what we did in 2006, winning the Asian cup in 2015, we, even though we are still got a, hopefully some more games to play, but just the fact we made it with this squad through, wh-
6: where does it rank for you? Number one. Yep. Yeah. I, I just think given the expectations going in, uh, and I remember 2006 that the expectations weren't sky high because we hadn't been there in so bloody long. So um, even though we had a good squad and we had a great coaching, good hitting, the expectations were okay, but not through the roof. But this time, expectations are through the floor—not through the floor, but down, down below what they were in 2006. So yeah, this is number one. Um, and for this squad, and and look, look, talking to people before the tournament here in Doha, I was here a week before it started you kind of mentioned that you're from Australia. They just look at you go, oh, yeah, that's right, you're here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, you got a tough group, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Not one person goes, yep. oh, I'll give you guys a bit of a chance. So, yeah, it was, um, it, it, that's that's why it's number one for me, the, the achievement to get out of the group and, and not done yet. And it, it's funny, there's, there's just a sneaky little thought and everyone's whispering it. I don't want to say it out loud, but Argentina plays a style of game that's not, like full on full throttle the whole time, which might actually not be too bad for the Socceroos, provided they keep their concentrations when the little bloke has the ball. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's, the little that's bloke, the absolute key. <laughs> the, the little bloke who who's pretty good. Yeah, he's um, pretty works, handy. 100%. So yeah, they, they they play a they play a slow, slow, slow. All of a sudden they go, and and go quick and and hurt you in a flash before you even know it. Like you, you've got three three punches on your jaw and you haven't even hit the ground. You don't know what's happened. So. Yeah, they've got that absolute quality, but yeah, I don't know. I'd be fascinated to see how Graham Arnold prepares the team and the shape he puts out because yeah, what they're playing with house money here. It's not like they need to go and protect and you know to sneak through with a draw or whatever like that. That they can they can go for it a little bit. So i will mean, be. I'd be pretty intrigued to see how Arnie sets up.
1: Has uh, Notegate got much of a run over there? The fact that we uh, got a hold of a little message that the Danes were trying to, ha- to pass around during the second half?
6: Yeah, no, not really. Uh, it's a little quizzical, like a funny little thing that kind of pops up and then vanishes straight away because other stuff happens. But yeah, the the the, the, the note that went out with, Cornelius when he came on the big Danish striker got thrown on the ground and Mitchell Duke went and picked it up and ran it over to Andrew Clark who can speak. He's obviously can speak Danish. It might have been in English. Don't even know what it was. And I heard from Andrew Clark today and he said, look, it it didn't do anything for us. It it didn't tell us something that we didn't already know. I think it was just like a a message of this is the shape we're now playing. We're playing two strikers up front, and they could see that with their own eyes. So yeah, it was a, a little trick though. It would have been fun if there was some. Actual valuable information <laughs> on it, but um, yeah, they're always thinking the Socceroos stuff. They're, they're a pretty cluey bunch.
1: Absolutely. Before we let you go, Adam, come on, give us your give us your prediction for Sunday morning our time because, well, let's be honest. If we win, it's the greatest win in Socceroos history. Can you can you make a case yeah. for us?
3: Yeah, yeah,
6: I can. I'm going to be completely biased with my tip. Good. Um, and and um, it's going to be in the paper tomorrow, so I'll, I'll, I won't divert from what I've already written. But uh, I will go 1-1 after extra time Uh-oh. and Andrew Redmayne will oh. come on in the 119th minute and do it again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> does he save one from Messi? Yes, yeah, Well, he he he's his records
6: on great lately, Lionel. No, well, it wasn't a good one the other night. It was keeper hype and, yeah, Shesney covered it um, really well. But, yeah, it, it, I, I, that, that is a factor, though. If, if Arnie keeps us sub-off his sleeve for, for Redman to come and do it again at mate potentially at the end. Is that the ground where we played Peru? <laughs> That's true. It could be at the end in which he did it against Peru. So, yeah. That, anyway, that, anyway, that, would be, be
1: that would be fabulous. Adam, again, thanks for your time. I know it's late overnight over there. Uh, enjoy, well, Saturday night, your time, Sunday morning, our time. Let's hope it's another golden day for the Socceroos.
6: Fingers crossed. Thanks, Jules.
1: Jan has been good enough to join us this morning. Morning, Jan. Good morning, Julian. Great to have you on the program. And uh, I was going to say, welcome back to Australia. When was the last time you were here?
5: Actually, it wasn't that long ago. I was here in May. Uh, but up until then, you know, because of COVID, it's been, gosh, 2.18 since before then. So what,
1: what, when you think Australian Open, what, what are the memories, that, apart from winning it a couple of times, what are the, the memories that come flooding back for you?
5: Well, it's all, you know, you always want to win your National Open. You know, it seems like everything as a kid, you always want to do that. So the memories were great. The last one I won, my mom was caddying. It was the first and only time she caddied for me. And <laughs> and uh, so it was really um, a fun experience. Plus, I won in a playoff. It was, a you know, a perfect scenario. They had Pat Bradley from, Australia, from America was over with Nancy Lopez and all some big na- famous names. And so I won in a playoff against an American. So. It was really fun to be in my hometown in Sydney. And so I had big galleries and it was, that was really a special moment.
1: It's an extraordinary photo we saw on, uh, online this morning of uh, the first Women's Australian Open and the shot of a player teeing off and behind her was a washing machine. It's, <laughs> fair, it's, fair, it's fair to say women's sports come a fair way since, since the early 70s. <laughs>
5: That's a good one yeah, it really has you know I've been out at the event every every because it's driving me crazy not playing and they asked me to play and I went, no, I really shouldn't play but it's been really hard watching <laughs> <laughs> but uh, because it's it has come so far I mean you know we talked about the first few times we were like setting our own pins and our tees, and and uh, to see it now we're equal to the men I mean it, it, and it's, it's really actually a really good testament to Australia that they're so far ahead of everybody else. You know, we did a little bit of it in Japan when we played mixed events, but Australia's really taken a step ahead. You know, they started with the Vic Open. I remember winning the Vic Open in the 70s as well, and – in, and I, I just think that's the future of golf. I don't understand why there's all this fighting when we're all, you know, we, we're all for the, the best of getting golf in a, in a better place.
1: Yeah, so it's the first time we've done this with the Australian Open, the men and women playing at the same time. We've also got the All Abilities Championship going on at the Australian Open. It seems like, yeah, like you, Jen. Most people think it's a really good step forward. It's the way to go. But why do you think this is definitely the way to go with with some big tournaments around the world, and particularly here in Australia?
5: Well, i tell you what really was interesting to me was Billie Jean King came and spoke to the LPGA in America back late 70s. And she said, you know, why you all aren't together as, as one organization, just like we are with tennis. Because she said over the years, you might have a, a male carrying it um, and you still get the galleries and it's still, you know, all tennis. And then, then as the Williams sisters came along, you know, and I talked to her later on, they carried the tour. So sometimes there'll be a superstar. And it it really helps because you're getting to see the young players as well. And one of the things that was interesting to me yesterday was I could actually sit in the bleachers and instead of having to follow just one group, I could see, you know, one group of the the males come up and then the next group of women. And so you got to see a huge difference in the way they had to play the hole. And it, it actually really was eye opening for me how great it was.
1: Talk to Jan Stevenson, Australian golfing great. She's here for the Australian Open, of course, the men and the women playing at the same time for the first time across Victoria Golf Club and Kingston Heath. So, Jan, you mentioned it's it was done. it been done a little bit in Japan. We're doing it here. Can you see it happening in other parts of the world, particularly, you know, in Europe and, and in America?
5: I think they're definitely going to follow this. I, I, everybody's been looking to see how it would go. I think the next step, I mean, I tried to talk to them about this, was – Getting tees, different tees, because, you know, when you play amateur golf and, and certainly at the clubs, depending on how you play, yep. you, you know, you pick those tees. Because I, I said the only reason I didn't play was that I wanted forward tees for a senior. And they went, oh, no, we couldn't do that. And it's like, why? I mean, we do it at, at golf every single day. That's what we talk about, how great the game is, because you can handicap. And if I was hitting in a similar club to the greens, I would certainly feel like I, I'm competitive. And I think that's going to be the next step. And I know that America's looking at it very closely, especially with what's happening with Liv, that I think the PGA – I mean, it makes sense to me that the LPGA should go and, and join with the PGA. Sure. Sure.
1: It's certainly been a controversial year in in golf with everything that's happening with Liv. It's divided the golfing world. What have you made of it?
5: Well, you know, I've been to both events. I, 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 I go to a lot of PGA events, and we have one in in my hometown in America in Tampa. So I spend I, I'm very close with the the organizers of it, and I've been to a live event, and they're two totally different things, but they are starting to get closer together. I noticed that you now here at the Australian Open, you've got a kids area for them to play. You've got all you've got like the central area with all the food trucks and. A stage and you need to have that anymore. You need to have it where it's entertaining for every part of the family, for everybody, even if they're not golfers and Liv certainly brought that out. I mean when you go to a live event you hear music all day long across the golf course and, and it's totally, you know, it's a lot more relaxed crowd and, and a lot younger crowd, which is what we're trying to do to help golf anyway. And I think the PGA Tour made a huge mistake in acting like the big bully. I think they should have just sat back and kind of, you know, been the you know, the big organisation, the bigger person and said, well, let's see if we can work this out together because eventually I think they have to.
1: So, yeah, I was going to say, where's it going to end up? Are they going to come together and work this out? And and if so, how long is that process going to take, do you think?
5: Well, I think PGA Tour has still put their foot down and so I think they have to, I think there's going to be a few lawsuits before they actually come down, (laughs) unfortunately. And it's really sad to see, you know, I mean, I think this could have been worked out before it's got to this stage. I can't see it coming together pretty quickly. I think it's going to be a slow process.
1: And it's an exciting time uh, for Australian golf, both in the men's, obviously what Cam Smith did this year and, uh, you know, number three in the world now. But our women, we've got so much depth of talent across our women, and you can see it in the leaderboard uh, in this tournament so far. Some of our great women right up the top. Who who really excites you from an Australian point of view uh, in the women and the men's golf at the moment?
5: Well, obviously Minji and and Hannah have had great years. Um, Minji Lee winning a US Open was a huge breakthrough, and and uh, it was wonderful to see. Curry's um, done a great team with the junior golf. She, you know, she helps with that. So. There's so much so much depth, and I think that everybody now in America knows that. I mean, they're actually courting a lot of Aussies to be at, in the colleges because they they have such good bones, you know. They've they've just got this great DNA with, it. and so it's really fun to see. And it used to be people go, "Oh, you're an Australian golfer," like it was strange, and now they're like, "Oh, Aussie golfers are great," you know. And so it's really changed. And I, I, the fun part for me is when, when they do come overseas that. You know, they spend a lot of time with the other Aussies. You know, the kids will come see me or a curry. And, and the same with Cam is now, you know, a lot of golfers will come to him. And it's really nice because we try to stick together. I mean, if ever there's an Aussie in the field and I don't even know them, I'll run up and go, hey, I'm an Aussie. <laughs> so it's, it's, we're getting a great reputation for such a small country, a small population anyway.
1: How much golf are you playing these days?
5: Not that much. You know, I own a golf course, which means you don't play any. <laughs> and, uh, and plus I have, uh, you know, my own line of uh, liquor and, and wine. So that keeps me pretty busy as well. But the golf course has been really fun. It's, um, you know, I, I honor the, the blind and disabled golf. So we I do clinics once a month for them. I do a lot of, I still hit balls a lot and send my swings to my coach in Australia, but I don't get much chance to play. I, I, I'm going to play the senior tour again next year because it might be my last year.
1: You, Jan, you sound – and we had you on uh, This Is Your Sporting Journey earlier this year. You sound as busy as you've ever been.
5: It's, I'm actually busier, and it's really <laughs> funny because I have, well, it was my, keep saying to my family, you know, I'm going to retire here, and they go, when are you going to retire? You know, we built, we're building me a granny flat at my family's um, property – and they're like, "Are we building an empty building? <laughs> it's never going to get used." So I don't know I'm just like, "I'm like, I think the thought that it was a granny flat upset me so So <laughs> I'm like, "Well, we'll just leave it a while."
1: Yeah. You, well, you sound a lot younger than you are, and you seem like you've got energy of uh, someone that's far younger than you actually are. So don't worry about the the whole granny flat thing.
5: Yeah. Thanks. Because you know, when I went on the tour, all the girls, my nickname is Nana, and at first I used to be so upset. <laughs> But now it actually is appropriate.
1: <laughs> now, the weather's been ordinary in Melbourne, Jam, but it looks like uh, today and over the weekend you've brought some of your, your weather from Florida with you.
5: I hope so because I've been very cold the last couple of days. So um, I'm looking forward to getting out there in some of uh, the summery clothes.
1: And now uh, looking at this field, uh, you mentioned uh, you know some of the women at the top. You know Grace Kim's at the top at the moment. Steph Kirikou's having a great uh, second round. You mentioned uh, Hannah Green as well. Uh, who, who do you like in this tournament?
5: Well, Hannah's playing really well, and I think she she always plays well when she comes home, which I love. And there might be a little bit too much pressure on Minji, but she, I played I watched her play a few holes yesterday, and the golf course is very tricky. You know, if you get on the wrong place of it, of the, where the pin is, it's really hard to get up and down, and she struggled a little bit there, but she still came back well. Um, and, I'm, and I always go for the oldies. I mean, Curry gets mad when I call her that now, but she <laughs> plays on our senior tour, so I guess it works. But I, I'm always, you know, looking for Curry and Lori Davies because they're good friends to, to play well. But I, I, I'm still picking Hannah.
1: And finally, we're very proud of our courses here in Melbourne, particularly on the sand belt. Where do you rate them compared to, you know, some of the great courses you've played around the, around the world?
5: Well, I always put Australian courses way up there. You know, when I did, when I was on the rating committee, you know, I always put them ahead. And and I got to play Victoria in the pro am, and I was I was so impressed. I mean, I, I was taking pictures all day long because I do um, I do renovation work with with the Dyes now um, with Cynthia Dye. and it's I just I'm so impressed with how the bunkering's done. And I get a little tired of the the American courses being everything's carried in the air. You know, everything is is wet and the ball doesn't run off into the rough or run off on the greens. And so if if you hit it long and high, you've got a huge advantage here. You really have to, to think and play your ball. I mean, the, the sand belt courses in Melbourne are, are just, they, they live up to their reputation and, and the Victoria is in such fantastic shape. I'm going to go watch, look at Kingston Heath today, and I know it'll be just as good.
1: Absolutely, Jen. Fantastic to have you back in Australia. It's a great tournament, uh, the men and the women playing at the same time. Hopefully we'll get huge galleries on the weekend. Thanks for taking some time out to speak with us this morning.
5: Oh, it's great to talk to you again, Julian. Thanks.
1: From Jan Stevenson to Miles Fitzer, what a combination. Morning, Miles.
2: Yeah, from the hen house to the proverbial uh, (laughs) jewels. Good to be on with you. Hello, mate. Hello to the listeners. Yeah, you can't get much lower than this. Not at
1: all. That is rubbish. uh, Now, mate, the curtain was drawn on the spring carnival last weekend. The running of the Zipping Classic, Vow and Declare, finally got a win, uh, turning back the clock. You found him, along with See You in Heaven at Caulfield, and this will test you each way in Perth.
2: Yeah, that was nice. Pity the two best in Cylinder and Pure Devotion went under. The sort of three races I wasn't that confident in, we sort of found a result, and then the two I was, we didn't. So that's the great game, but <laughs> the racing continues again right around the country. But we just saddle up and go again, and hopefully, um, with a few of these early starts at the moment, Jules and doing the form becomes a little bit more difficult. But <laughs> yes. hopefully, it can uh, hopefully it can remain. Uh, we're still getting some money in the kick. A
1: beautiful little racetrack out at Packenham. Uh, it's the $300,000 Packenham Cup this weekend. A nice little field with Kissinger, the favourite. Uh, where are you heading with this one?
2: Look, I, I think it's between a few horses here in Kissinger, fifth position and future score uh, is my thoughts. I think Kissinger's probably short enough around sort of the 450 mark. So you're getting $8 and around 260 for both future score, and fifth position. So they're going to be the three. I might end up having a same race multi or something in the race. Uh, I don't think Sound went well enough in the Zipping Classic. Um, I'm not that keen on Noble Heights or Vegas Knights. So they're the three for mine. You can box them up, have a box Cornella, have a same race multi, Kissinger future score fifth position for me
1: anything else on the packenham card that stands out to you
2: yes we can go real uh, nice and early race number one is a horse here uh, that won superbly last start in Braden star I can't believe this is still even money uh, this is a multi-builder it's a double-up job to start your day you want to back this now because this will start um, I think probably close enough to a dollar 70 or something like that so Braden star quite clearly the best on the card at packenham and I can tell the listeners now confidently you'll get the $2 now, but you won't be getting that tomorrow if you wait. So uh, definitely a multi-builder uh, and even money or a double up to get your day started nicely at Packenham.
1: What about over in Perth? Group 1 racing again at Ascot. The $1.5 million Northerly Classic is a cracker. Uh, what do you like Yeah, I know you love Amelia's Jewel. Uh, yes. You going to stick with her?
2: I am going to stick with her and we're going to go through the card a little bit later today on the the Betfair, the Friday night Betfair edges back with Tom Haylock uh, on the main channel there in Melbourne um, this evening. So you can tune in for the full card with Terry Layton. But uh, I am with Amelia's Jewel. Inside gate um, gets in at 50 kilos in against some of these. I know a few are keen on Cascadian, but drawn wider in 12. I know J-Mac goes on. It's got 59 kilos. A lot of people from the east will be with Cascadian. People from the west, Amelia's Jewel. Amelia's Jewel all day for me. Uh, in the northerly, I, I think it's uh, I think it's her turn to go again.
1: Give us your best around the country this weekend.
2: Uh, <laughs> look, uh, three quick ones. Race six, number four, pudding at Morfitville. Race six, number four, pudding. Pakenham, race one, number seven, Brighton Star. Rose Hill, race three, number two, Gaza Blanca. All better than even money. $8.30 or $40 if you multi them. And that'll get you some money in the kick for the weekend.
1: Lovely, Miles. Uh, Thanks Uh, for your time. Have a great weekend.
2: Thanks, Jules. Don't forget, big show on SENSA Breakfast. Had to get that in next week. Couple of big ones dropping. Oh, hello.
1: Hello. We'll be listing yourself and uh, Bryce Gibbs. Uh, Thanks for your time, Miles. One of the Kookaburra stars, uh, Jake Harvey, joins us now. Hello, Jake.
4: Hey guys, how are you going?
1: Very well, uh, thank you. Been a high-scoring and exciting uh, series so far. For those that uh, aren't across it, uh, the Kookaburras won the first game 5-4, game 2 7-4, and then uh, India hit back with a thrilling win in game 3 4-3. Uh, it's been a been a great series so far.
4: Yeah, it certainly has. We've spent a fair bit of time apart over the last couple of months. Um, and it's been fantastic to get back together and yeah, as you said, it's been a bit high-scoring and for us that's definitely something we're going to have to look at over the next over the last two games.
1: So how does the coach uh, look at that? I guess so all neutrals when watching sport love a high-scoring game, but we quite often hear, whether it's, it's footy or, or soccer or hockey, that the, the coach likes the defence to be a little bit better. Is, is that how the coach is looking at it?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think for us it's fantastic to be playing against such a tough opposition leading into the World Cup in a couple of weeks. Um, but, yeah, that's, a, that's something we take a lot of pride in is, is defending well and keeping the other team to a low score. So it's something that, yeah, we're, we're really looking to, to improve um, on Saturday and Sunday coming up. But as, as I said, India, very quality opposition. So it's it's definitely easier said than done.
1: Obviously, any game you play for the Kookaburra is, is important. But I guess the timing of this series, as you say, playing a, a really good opponent and you've got the World Cup around the corner and the team of 18 for the World Cup gets selected after this um, series, so how quickly is that squad actually selected?
4: Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not too far away. I think in the next sort of week or so after this series, um, we'll expect to hear about that uh, about that squad. Um, and as I said, like it's it's a really strong group that we've got, which is fantastic, and it always makes a tough time at selection um for the coaches and i think yeah we've got you know everyone's playing pretty well and in some good form and that's really positive to see leading into a major tournament for us that only comes around every couple of years
1: and it's being held in india it's in january how difficult we know with a lot of sports and you know we talk about cricket all the time playing on the subcontinent how extra challenge is it playing in those subcontinental conditions
4: yeah, again, definitely a challenge, challenge. It's normally pretty warm uh, at the start of the year or end of the year over there. Um, but it is is—it is a very big home of hockey. So in terms of getting a big crowd like the cricket, I think, you know, they, they go pretty mad for their sport. So... That's definitely a big positive and an exciting part about playing playing in India. So looking forward to that. But yeah, as you said, there's always some challenges that come with it. But um, yeah, a lot of us have spent a fair bit of time in India over the years, so you sort of get used to managing all the all the
1: different things that pop up. And how's it looked for you the last uh, couple of years, Jake? We know the world of sport has been affected so much by COVID. How's it affected you personally, and, and you know where you've played your club hockey, for example? How tough's it been?
4: Yeah, it's definitely been very challenging. I think for us, uh, international hockey um, suffered pretty heavily in terms of a lack of games for pretty much two years outside of the postponed Olympics. So, um, yeah, it's been really challenging um, for, for a lot of people in all sports, I think, to stay motivated with that lack of competition. But in, in the same breath, there was also, as I'm sure a lot of people found, lots of silver linings and getting to spend an extended period of time with my club team in Perth was great, um, something that I probably wouldn't have got to do. Um had COVID not happened, So I think, yeah, definitely tried to make the most of those, those little silver linings that popped up, but on an international front, it was definitely, definitely challenging and, and we missed that competition. So I'm very, very
1: thankful that it's back. Absolutely. Looking at your journey, was it always going to be hockey for you given your family links with your grandfather being a, a triple Olympian?
4: Yeah, I'm not sure if it was always going to be the case. I think growing up in, you know, southwest of WA in the country, everyone sort of plays footy, cricket, and, you know, a few people play hockey as well. And, yeah, I think, I don't know, I just enjoyed it the most. It made part of me, um, you know, wanted to follow in, in his footsteps. And, yeah, it's a really special thing to be able to share with him. Um, but, yeah, definitely definitely wasn't always locked in from, from day dot, but um, it definitely ended up that way.
1: How often do you get out in the surf?
4: I haven't in the last couple of weeks, that's for sure, and unfortunately it's, like it's flattening off a little bit over summer, but yeah, it's definitely something I try and do to break up all the training and um, you know, when, I, when I can get myself out of the library when I'm studying, but yeah, it's something that hopefully I'll get a little bit of a chance to do over Christmas um, when I'm back home down south, but we'll, again, we'll have to wait and see.
1: What are you What are you studying at the moment?
4: Uh, I'm studying physiotherapy, so I pretty much just have my practice go, which is quite exciting, and that is one thing with sport is, is the part-time study can take a little bit longer <laughs> than normal. So I've fortunately ticked off all of my units, um, but yeah, got the practical stuff to go, which is, yeah, exciting for me to be seeing the light at the end of the tunnel um, on that phase of things as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the world of footy, we see, uh, you know, Alistair Clarkson likes to crack out the guitar sometimes. Luke Beveridge takes it on the road. Uh, you're a pretty keen guitarist. Do you, will you take it to the World Cup?
4: Potentially. I think I definitely have um, in the past and we've been to India. I think the World Cup normally we're away for about four weeks and sometimes just spending a fair bit of time cooped up in the hotel. Uh, so definitely something I might look to do to keep myself entertained outside of uh, all the hockey and the
1: training. So, yeah, I'll have to, have to keep you posted. <laughs> Any other talented musicians in the group?
4: Yeah, there's a few. I think one of our one of our uh, high performance coaches is actually he's he's pretty big on the ukulele, so that's a very uh, <laughs> strong feature. He uh, that and the harmonica. So he tried to teach me the harmonica in the past, but it hasn't hasn't quite stuck uh, yet for me. Um, so yeah, no no Paul Kelly coming at you um, too soon. Not individually anyway.
1: <laughs> Tell us about Eddie Ockington. He he's an absolute marvel of your sport. He's only the seventh player to play 400 games. That happened last weekend. what What's it like playing with him and, and what's allowed him to be at the elite level for so long?
4: Yeah, look, Ed's a fantastic guy and an amazing role model. And I think, you know, the, the achievement of 400, you know, the first first guy to ever do it. Um, was so, so impressive and we're all very fortunate to be a part of it. The guys are here and also the guys that have been with Eddie over his journey. As you can imagine, he's played with, with many, many, many guys over, over 400 games and yeah, I think it's a great, great test to him as a person. I think um, the kind of person he is, um, as well as as an athlete, is you, you don't you don't last that long. I think without being a great human being, and that's something we all admire about Ed to, to be able to be such a good person while such a such an impressive athlete is something that you don't you don't come across too often. And yeah, he he deserves all the recognition. Um, and celebration that he's had over the last little bit. And um, yeah, we're hoping we'll keep hanging around for a while longer yet.
1: Is there one of two things that you've noticed that he does differently, whether it's in his preparation or away from the hockey field that, uh, you know, you might think's allowed him to, to, to be so good for so long.
4: Yeah. I think something about Ed is that um, people around him and even the people that have watched him for a long time would know he's an incredibly humble guy and, um, he does his very best to stay out of the limelight as much as he can, which is hard to do. I think when you're such an incredible player. So, yeah, I think I think that definitely helped. His, you know, he goes about his business, you know, very quietly, and um, you know. That's what he needs to do and lets his playing do the talking, I think. And, yeah, he's definitely been a great role model for me and and many other guys that have come through um, over the last couple of years and even over a longer period of time. So, yeah, I've been very fortunate to play alongside Ed, and, yeah, observe how diligent he is around his preparation. That's Yeah, it's really very fortunate to have been able to view that.
1: Is he the best player you've played with?
4: Yeah, he'd have to be up there. I think. I think Ed's one of those guys that you know, every now at least at least once a session, he sort of does something that you go, oh, "I'm not." Geez, I don't know if anybody else could do that. So <laughs> he's um yeah, he's a pretty impressive guy, and I think such a well-rounded hockey player that there's not a lot that he doesn't do well. So I think it's yeah, it's, that's something I've definitely learned from him as well. Um, he's definitely cuts up all areas of his game, and that's something that yeah, really really admire about Ed. <laughs>
1: Well, Jake, thanks so much for your time this morning. It's been a great series so far, as we mentioned, uh, against India. Games four and five this weekend. The Kookaburras take a 2-1 series lead uh, into game four. Uh, Good luck on the weekend and uh, good luck over in the World Cup early next year. Thanks for your time. Beautiful. Thanks so much for having me.
0: The captain's run with Sam Edmund.
1: Thanks for your company this morning. The Sporting Flame with Simon O'Donnell and Jimmy Smith coming up. Then it's off to Perth for day three coverage of the first test between Australia and the West Indies. It continues from 12pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Jared Waitley leads the team. Simon Cadditch, Damian Fleming, Ian Bishop and the team for every ball across the SEN network and the SEN app. Just a few more off our 40 Winks. Uh, temper before we go. Temper a mattress like no other. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks. serious about sleep uh, and yeah, really enjoyed talking to Jake Harvey. Thanks SEN for talking a little hockey. Just an underrated sport, seriously skilled athletes. The yeah, Bulldogs fans are a little bit fired up with the Bulldogs supporter that suggested Cody Waitman uh, doesn't deserve to wear the number three, made famous by Chris Grant and Ted Winton. Cody Waitman will kick 50 goals next year if he has an injury-free season. He is a star and thoroughly deserves the number three, a no-brainer, says J-Dog. Was Waitman the toughest, most resilient player in the AFL last year? Broken collarbone, only missed two weeks, dislocated elbow, played out the match and didn't miss a game, says Freddie. Um, and please do not complain who gets what numbers. Prior to Chris Grant wearing three, only one decent player wore three after Witten, and that was Alan Stoneham, and he ended up at Essendon. Does anyone remember Adrian Campbell or Mark Callen or Andreas Everett? They wore it. Cody Waitman is a great choice for number three. And uh, another one here, just a good point. Andy Mart definitely at home watching Netflix to catch up on all the series he will tell us about next week. He doesn't sleep. I'm telling you, Andy Marr does not sleep. He can't because he's across everything. Podcasts, Netflix, Foxtel shows, sport in the US, sport in Australia. I don't know how he fits it all in, particularly with he's got uh, a wife and three girls as well. So he probably won't sleep on the weekend and he'll be watching uh, plenty of shows. Uh, Just a quick update from the cricket at the Junction Oval, Victoria defending 209. Uh, New South Wales currently 2 for 73. Jason Sanger Sixteen not out, uh, Moses Henriques, fifteen not out, and just golf. Beautiful day to get down to the golf. Uh, if you want to see some of the best in the world in action across the women's and the men's. Uh, so the women's update at the moment: uh, So uh is uh, joined Grace Kim at the top of the leaderboard minus seven. She's four under through twelve today. Minji Lee is rocketed up the leaderboard today. She's minus three after 13 holes. And Steph Curicu, one of our great young players, is uh, minus four as well. So she's also at five under alongside Hannah Green. On the men's side, David Micheluzzi is still the overnight leader. He resumes his second round today at uh, seven under. Just looking at Cam Smith uh, on the, the, the leaderboard. He started the day at one over and is currently two over. So right now, the projected cut is even. So Cam Smith certainly gets needs to get a move on or hope some of the players uh, in the afternoon uh, struggle. So it's a great golf to be played. What a weekend of sport coming up. The Socceroos, uh, the golf as well. So uh, we'll be across it and the cricket as well from Perth. We'll be across it all on Monday when we'll see you at 9 o'clock. But coming up now, the Sporting Flame
5: with Simon O'Donnell and Jimmy Smith.